1: good morning good morning and welcome back to sunday civics the home for the civically engaged i am your host your civics teacher and your neighborhood political strategist l joy williams and i'm really happy that you made it to class this morning we are going to talk about the environment We're going to talk about our earth, our beautiful earth, our beautiful sky, what we individually, collectively and as a responsibility this government has to participate in environmental justice. We're going to define what environmental justice is. We're going to talk about our personal responsibility. We're going to talk about government's responsibility. We're going to talk about what white folks ain't doing, what black folks ain't doing, what nobody ain't doing, what we ought to be doing we are going to talk about all of that in this conversation today. And I have someone to bring back to the front of the class. You may remember that he's been here before. I don't even remember what we talked about but he'll remind me. i um, to bring you back urban strategist, board member of the Living Future Institute. He's also on the advisory board of the Trust for Public Land. He is a lecturer at Baruch College here in New York. Welcome back to the front of the class, Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen. Did I say it right? Did he I do said, it? Did, did I do it good?
0: you said it excellent you said it perfect my mom my mom used to always say if people can't say your name right don't even talk to them so you said you said it right Uh,
1: look at that (laughs) look at that because if we diversify are like we can say we can say words (laughs) we we can pronounce people's names appropriately welcome back to the front of the show Ibrahim
0: it's an honor to be here. You you basically become like a, a, a extra big deal since I was last on the show.
1: Oh my god! Like, please, I think you were like
0: I think you were like a big deal, and then now you're like on a whole nother scale. So
1: I just oh, want to
0: acknowledge that that this class is probably <laughs> packed with a lot of people <laughs> people auditing the class, people trying to. Like,
1: People standing notes. out People standing out with the, what was the things back in the day where you had to bring a slip? Remember that you had to bring a slip for the professor to sign in of order exactly. for you to get in the class? I don't even know what it's called. Exactly.
0: They're just waiting like, please.
1: Yes, there used to be. So for those of you um, who don't remember this, there used to be like, in order for you to register for the class, you had to like physically go like and get right, re- and then if the class was full, you could try to sweet talk a professor into getting in the class, and then you had to bring like the slip in order to register, to then go back to the burst office so you could actually register for the class. <sighs> Good times, <laughs> like all all of that. I'm a, I'm assuming now you have to do that. It's all digital. There's no. I'm sure. You might, to, that.
0: you might have to tweet your professor now.
1: Yeah, now you have to, <laughs> to shame your professor on Twitter is just like I tried to register for the class and, and he didn't like me because I'm black. And then you get like, <laughs> and then you get. I mean, do you have folks doing that now? I mean, you teach, right? So, like, what what are you the, the comparing your previous experience in in college? Obviously, a totally different world, you know, than True. because now. But like, do you, I? Some of the things I still see are the same. Some of my friends who teach was like you still have people who ain't do no work whole semester and asking how they can make up their grade. You still have people, like you still have people like doing you know basic stuff like that. Is any of that changed?
0: Here's a, here's my I, I'm blessed that I go to Baruch and I, I I mean I went to Baruch. I got my master's there in public administration and then I teach in the School of Public and International Affairs, the Mark School. And so what's cool about that is that um, the, the student body at Baruch is like this, you know, striver from every corner of the globe. Like it really it's like basically being on a seven train if you like did a class on the seven train. So like, you know, there's Chinese, Russian, Turkish and um, Caribbean, you know, Latin American. And they all come from those places like they weren't they're not like second generation. They're like their parents came here and they're trying to make it. So these folks, one kid was like, I have a laundromat. He was like in his early 20s. He owned a laundromat, he owned a bodega, but he was also, he had two kids already, and he was doing this so he could get his MBA, he was get his business degree undergrad. Like those are the kind of kids mm. that I have that are like those are the kind of kids you want.
1: They make no. kids, them grown folks. They're
0: grown folks, exactly. <laughs> so the thing that's crazy about it is when you get like a class full of bunch of folks like that, and then you get a bunch of folks that are like, like what you just said, like, oh, I didn't hand in anything. Can we talk, professor?
1: Like, <laughs> talk like, about what? What are we talking about? <laughs> what are we, like, what we really got to, what you but really got to say.
0: My theory, my, my philosophy is, is very different from other professors. You start with an A in my class.
1: Uh, my husband does that. My husband is a high school teacher and he was just like, you start here. Yeah. Like what you do after that is all you. It's
0: a hundred percent up to you. And it's, so it's not like you're going to earn my, no, you already got it. You will lose your position if mm. based on your approach to the class. So people take, take that seriously.
1: Mm. Yeah. And it's also different of when you have grown folks, you know, in a class, people that are they're they're hustling to even pay the tuition and and things like that to be there. They are you know motivated to get to their next step. They are participating. Versus, I mean, I can fully attest to that. There were a couple of classes where I was that kid. For instance, freshman year, I had the audacity to register for a Friday class at eight a.m. Ain't nobody ain't nobody going to that class. <laughs> Going to a Friday, uh, Friday, 8 a.m. three hour, by the way. What was I thinking?
0: No, those are the classes where you could go in and you that's when you're like it's Thursday night and you hang out and you party. But I was I was a very studious student, so I would do those classes because they always end early. That professor doesn't want to be there.
1: <laughs> anyway. So here's a message kids and to the parents you know maybe you didn't go to college maybe you went to college later you got kids now and you ask your kids now oh it's your first semester second you know like what your class schedule like and they're like oh i got a friday 8 a.m class they ain't going to that class they go into class the beginning of the semester and then the last day of the semester and then they're gonna be like uh so what can i do to uh (laughs) <laughs> make up a grade even though I ain't been here in like, half why the month. Incomplete... Oh, <laughs> can I like, you know, is there some assignments exactly. I can bundle up and do? I'm yeah.
0: assigned. <laughs> I'm <just joking. laughs>
1: that's, what, um, that's what you do. So that's just a note of caution to not do an 8 a.m. Friday class in any capacity because that's just that's just not cool. Anyway, I want to move on to what we were talking about. Ibrahim. things are on fire. Things are cold. Things are hot. There's trash everywhere. Do we really care about this environment or is it just the ghetto? That <laughs> I feel like there was some cartoon or something I was watching. Oh, no, it was a TikTok. And it was about the planets talking about each other. And they were like, Earth mm. is the ghetto because of the way... <laughs> It was like, oh, girl, I flew by Earth the other day. It's just trash. Uh, It's just like it's trash. Things on fire, trash is everywhere, whatever. It is the ghetto of the solar system. And I just want um, you to speak on behalf of the Earth and start from there as to whether or not we are indeed the ghetto or not.
0: What um, Some of you guys know that once, well, you may, you know, the people that are listening and watching don't know that I want, I worked in the Bloomberg administration um, on, in the Office of Long-Term Planning and Sustainability. And part of my role was to be a translator for issues of environment and sustainability and, you know, infrastructure challenges that the city was facing. So I went once went out to Staten Island to have a conversation with members of the community there. And, um, you know, it took me a... It was an epic journey to get out there. I've been to Staten Island. I'm not like one of these New Yorkers that never goes. I have friends out there, so I've been out there before. But, you know, out there in a suit and a tie, and it's a hot day. And I remember I sat down, and, you know, as I was getting settled, they said, no, 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 before you say anything, we just want to let you know we don't believe in climate change. We don't think it's real. And so I was like, okay, and I sort of gulped down, and I thought, okay, how do I explain this? One of the best explanations that I got was from... Um, actually Van Jones in another life before he became a commentator and a, a sort of a public figure, he was a leader in the green jobs movement in, in um, fighting climate change. And he gave an analogy of like a baby. So a lot of you, well, we're all, we were all babies. A lot of you have been um, supporting people who have been pregnant, but you know that when a baby is inside of a mother's stomach imagine that baby is earth and the climate is sort of the, the world, the universe around the baby um, inside the womb. And you know that if you get, a, you know, your body's temperature is 98.6 degrees. That's like the standard number that people use. And we're all used to getting our temperature now more than we've ever done before, probably in human history. But when you start to get take up a couple of degrees in your temperature, if you are in a situation where you're going to give like deliver, or if you're um, you're close to delivery, um, that's very dangerous for the baby. So 100 degrees, 101, those are dangerous temperatures because it's not just affecting you, but it, that's the same analogy to the Earth with the, the sort of minuscule, seems like temperature going up very slowly, it seems like, a couple of degrees. Um, it, is, it is incredibly catastrophic for the planet Earth because of what it does mean is rising seas, means there's melting um, ice areas, and those that water from that melting ice fills up the oceans. Um, and so the, the coastal areas will get submerged. Um, you have days that are hotter, days over 90 degrees. That'll be a lot more days over 90 degrees. Um, you have more intense storms. Uh, these are the things that are actually happening. Um, these are the things that... And when I so when I spoke to the people on Staten Island that day, I said, okay, let's throw the word climate change out the window. Let's talk about rising seas. Let's talk about... Um, weird and more intense storms, dramatic weather shifts. Um, let's talk about um, days over 90 degrees and h- the intensity of the heat. Those are the things that we're dealing with as we speak. And, and, you know, we can get to the causes of that. But that's I think that that's where it, it begins with forget about all the jargon, all the language, all the stuff that you've heard in the media about what we actually are facing a real problem as we speak. How are we going to manage the things that we have that are gonna be in, in danger are coastal areas. And and how are we gonna make better decisions now so that we don't keep compounding and making the problem worse? I think that's the two areas that exist. And in the government, we call the, the sort of, how do we manage this stuff now? We call that resilience. How are we gonna be more resilient for the future? Um, climate resilience is the language that people use. And then um, the, the decisions that we make that are sort of like, what kind of fuel we use how do we manage our trash how do we deal with the stuff that's contributing to the problem that's our those are conversations around sustainability long term sustainability and i think that's the that's where we're existing right now we're knee deep in how we're going to address b- both of those areas
1: mm. so i have lots of questions on on that in talking about the resiliency talking about individual responsibility talking about government's responsibility, talking about international responsibility, right? Because even if, you know, you individually do something, your town, your state, your country does something, you know, it's not like you only breathe air that comes in one place, right? There's all of these other competing things at the same time. So we'll talk about that. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back on the other side of the break and, and, and talk a bit about that.
0: All the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together, who is the teacher? I go let you know.
1: Welcome back to Sunday Civics. We are with Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen and I am Eljoy Williams, your civics teacher and host. And we are talking about our lovely, lovely environment, our lovely, lovely planet and environmental justice overall. Before I go into further conversation just about responsibility and what we're talking about here, can, can you define environmental justice and sort of what is the framework with which we should operate on Obviously there may be folks who are listening who are, yes, climate change is real. There's no denying that it's a stupid argument to like deny, deny whether it's real or not, like it's happening before our eyes. And then there are other people who may be skeptical, but sort of talk from the, what is the environmental justice framework?
0: Um, I'm gonna just read briefly, just so you we were very clear. This is sort of like, the reason why this is crucial, like how you define it is because um, the environmental justice movement um, well, I'll just give a little point about the the roots of it. It was started. The critique that it was started from was was identifying environmental racism, um, ex, ex, and those are examples where um, uh, a, a polluting facility, like a a, um, a, a power plant or a, a waste transfer station, these types of facilities that that pollute the local area around it, were most often cited and located near black and brown communities and poor communities. And the people that were living in those communities were unable to fight against the siting of those facilities and the ongoing pollution that those facilities were creating because they didn't have any political power. So when we talk about environmental justice, we talk about the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all persons, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, policies, and activities with respect to the distribution of environmental benefits, it gets really complicated here now because what I just read you was the legalese or the legal language that's now being used at the state, federal, city, state, and local, um, and federal levels because in the environmental justice movement has matured to the point where now it is discussed in the halls of City Hall in New York City and at the state capitol in, uh, in Albany, as well as in the White House. It is the language that we're using to frame and shape how we're making decisions about um, solving these persistent problems. Um, it primarily deals with how I descript, discussed it before, that there have been communities that have definitely, all the decisions that we've made to pollute the planet and poison our air and our water and our soil, um, all the worst burdens of that; those decisions have come on black and brown and poor communities. Um, so there's a lot of different language that people use Disadvantaged or under resourced. Um, one of the general ways to describe it um, is the, the our EJ communities or environmental justice communities, and these would be communities that have definitely faced the negative impact and a negative burden from decisions around water and energy and and, um, um, and air quality management in the past. That, that's a general area.
1: Got it. Got it. I, I thought it was important to sort of lay that out right that it's not just something that comes from somewhere but it's also even though we may have new fancy language and defining framework for it and things like that that it's not new (laughs) you know in terms of uh, having a conversation about having the right to breathe clean air having the right to not have the land in which you Eat from and and live on, be soiled by pollutants. To not live next to or be have your community be the sole repository for trash and you know other things. that, that just because we have a new framework for it or new language for it doesn't mean that it's a new issue. And no. having a conversation about that, right that there is this conversation about that because I do remember as young it was like a whole big recycling conversation when I you know when I was young and fast forward we're still unfortunately having that conversation and actually develop new products that can't be broken down and just kind of just live forever.
0: We've had we've had I mean this is an interesting moment because it, even that frame of environmental justice it, it, it grew up from environmental racism. The environmental racism wasn't was a sort of an observation. Environmental justice is more of an aspirational term, saying that we should actually shift the be- the benefits and and make sure that we minimize the burdens that happen when when decisions have been made. And the people leading that charge and leading that fight have originally in the late '70s, early '80s were rooted in the Black Church in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the the root of that that observation. What's intriguing is that what you have at the federal level, and I'll just start there really quickly with the installation of Michael Reagan uh, as the EPA Environmental Protection Agency Administrator, Um, a black man in his 40s. I love him because he's the same age as me. Um, He's like the grown up me. I look at him, I'm like, look at you, bro. I get so excited (laughs) about him. Because he really represents sort of, um, he's a nerd environmentalist who's rooted in this black tradition around protecting the planet and doing it in on you know in this in this like very specific way um, that a very holistic approach and epa is extremely powerful so I think what like they meant that's demonstrates the maturation. Michael Reagan comes from North Carolina. The EJ community and EJ framework comes from North Carolina. We've seen that because historically communities that have been really pushed to the margin were really forced to have no decision. You know decisions made behind closed doors. And that's been the case in New York State and other places around us for, you know, decades. So two things are happening is that you're getting sort of an awakening of, of people that are involved in environmental movement work to say, let's make sure we repair the decisions we made in the past. But also, there's a whole larger movement, I would say, around stakeholder engagement and around making sure that people are involved in decision making for any big project. And those two things are hitting at the same time. And the EJ movement is really poised to help shape those conversations in a way so that you can deepen democracy. I think that that's that's the exciting moment that we're in right
1: now. Mm. I love that. I love that. And you know, in thinking about going back to my original, I made this comment before the break. You know, there are a number of us who are probably having this like same internal conversation of how can I, my family, me personally. Yeah do better in terms of our environment. Right. You know, and I remember, and I'm sure you remember the jokes about people who were like environmental friends, you know, the, the tree hugger, you know, conversation and the crunchy family, (laughs) sort of all of those pieces. But, you know, I try to give myself grace because there are times where I'm like, I need to be, I should be composting and recycling and not buying plastic. And then as I'm packing right now, I'm like, and I'm going to take these Ziploc bags that (laughs) I like put all my makeup in one Ziploc bag, you know, because it's been ingrained in our daily society and it takes a, a, a minute, right? To make those individual changes. But there's also the, the, grace you have to give yourself there is yes you need to make changes but then also you're not going to say your individual habits alone Mm. aren't going to save the environment i
0: i I mean i agree with that 100 and i think like we are at a place where we can make we can make a little bit of a shift in our thinking and and approach to this let me give you an example new york state right now requires for all capital projects, and these are large construction projects that are over like, you know, $50,000 or whatever the number of the threshold is, $35,000, I think is the actual number. Um, but these are lo- mostly large projects. And a lot of the large projects that are going to be coming on in online in New York State um, are solar wind, offshore wind. These are big, huge energy projects because we want to get to um, dramatically improve how how we how much clean energy we bring into the city and across the state. Um, the city, the state, the state requires 40% of the contracts be awarded to MWBE, um, um firms, this minority women on business and enterprises. This is, so I would, so like, I would like push back a little bit and say, let's not focus obsessively on each tiny little individual action that we have to do. And let's actually focus if you're a parent or if you're a elder in your community on getting the people in your community that are, that can, to the place where they can compete for those jobs. Because if you start understanding, if you can start plugging in, there's a project called, um, that's being proposed right now called Excelsior Connect, that's gonna take wind and solar energy down to New York City. Now, all the way along that route, there's gonna be massive construction, massive projects that are gonna be um, in, in play. Well, our community, black and brown communities that are traditionally part of the EJ community framework could be benefiting, and I guarantee you, You know, you know, I don't don't know this, but it feels like it that if you get people that are going to be competing for jobs and winning jobs, winning construction jobs and other service jobs related to the clean energy, that their actual personal decisions will shift because they'll see themselves as part of this larger project. Now, that 40 percent number, Eljoy, is literally one of the best and most competitive in the whole country. So then the question is, why doesn't the federal government do 40 percent? Why don't other states do 40 percent? And that, that really is, that is one of the things that need to be answered. But lately, I've been shifting my thinking. Maybe we don't all need to do individual choices. Maybe what needs to happen is that governments and companies need, need to make it so that our, our choices around what is dirty or bad, like good or bad, are constrained to just what's good and what's a little bit better. And that's where most people should exist within so that you're not, right? We've made that choice with plastic bag ban. We made that choice with banning plastic straws, you're not making a choice between a plastic straw and a paper straw. You'd always choose a plastic straw. That's what you know. But now they're just putting a damn paper straw in your ding and, you're, and you're, that's what you're sipping on. I have a metal straw right here. You're making different choices because that's the framework that we've been given. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to sound all draconian or sort of 1984 or like <laughs> the heavy hand of government shifting in, but that's what government is supposed to do. Government is supposed to solve problems at a scale so that regular people don't have to think about those problems. That's what government does. And if mm-hmm. we can solve problems at that scale, then you as an individual person can be creative and figure out where you plug in into the larger you know, world, your business, your organization, your church, whatever it is, how you plug into that.
1: Ibrahim, so you know what this sounds like to me? You have children. So, you know, that sometimes <laughs> when you give kids choices on things, they're always going to like you give them a choice between candy or broccoli. They always choose, you know, like wh- whatever, you know, they like the best. So, one of the things that we do that I do now with the five year old who likes to express herself in different wardrobe intricate, you know, collaborations is laying out. The defined choices for her is like you could either wear this with this shirt, this with this shirt, or this with this dress, right? Yeah. And so she still has a choice. It's just a little bit more curated so we're not outside with a green tie dye, something and something. And I'm like in the Hamptons at my friend's house and your kid look crazy, right? So like <laughs> there is, so I'm basically becoming the government and giving you choices. Like here are the defined things and you can make the choice, the, the curated choices from there. Is that what you're saying? LJ,
0: LJ we've been doing that for every single aspect, right? So let's, let's go back to energy for a second. If you're gonna build a building in New York City, you have a choice of plugging into the natural gas infrastructure. You have a choice of plugging into you know, getting oil delivered. Right. But if you say we're not those aren't even options, which these are conversations that are being happen- had at the city level and at the state level to say completely decarbonize our buildings. Take away oil. Take away natural gas. Right. And that includes the gas for your stove. I know people feel
1: very lots of feelings about that. Um, you coming, you coming for the gut? You, are you trying to? My husband had the audacity to suggest an electric stove to me. And I was like, sir,
0: you know, I, the, you know, the indoor air quality issues with get yeah, and I'm having a, I, I haven't made this shift either. Like, I'm telling you, sir. this is a like, thing. But when you when you when you start to con, con, create those constraints, and you start to say, Listen, we've done the fossil fuel extractive stuff for like centuries couple centuries let's shift in a different direction and i think that's where we're at right now we're at actually at that place where how are we going to decarbonize our buildings how are we going to make a decision don't cite any more power plants that use fossil fuels which in my book green bean what islam teaches about protecting the planet i call energy from heaven versus energy from hell so all the stuff that burns that's in the ground is energy from hell
1: don't you want energy from heaven Eljoy? It's not what you but, want to cook. but but so will energy <laughs> from heaven though give me the seer though like that's, I, that's, what, that's so like,
0: and that's gonna be if you talk to your brothers and sisters at we act um which is one of the not only is we act now one of the most it's like it is one of the most powerful environmental justice organizations in the country um they are they have a pilot right now where they're in new york city and buffalo and other places around the state where they're swapping out gas stoves and they're replacing them with these new fancy induction stoves. The
1: induction stoves? Correct. I, I, you know, I know this radio, y'all can't really, you're going to have to go to the video clip to see my face. I don't know. Because like we actually in the process of buying new appliances and I'm doing all the calculations about the new energy thing or whatever. And my husband was like, oh yeah, so we should get induction. I was like, sir,
0: your husband you is want right. to stay
1: married. Your husband <laughs> <laughs> Coming for me and my goddamn so He was like, "Oh, and then you can just get, you know, get thing or whatever for the for, for the grill outside." I was like, "In the charcoal? Hell, what is happening? <laughs> like, who are we, did you? Forget who you were I, married to." And then he brings up, "He was like, I thought you had did protect the environment."
0: Yeah, what are you gonna? I think, but see, this is the phase that we're at, and this whole process is really thinking through what are the larger scale questions, and that's where. The EJ movement is really leading the conversation. They're pushing it. So that it makes people feel a little uncomfortable when they look at their, uh, <laughs> when they're trying to make their, their tough choices about what to get. I'm glad that you had that reaction. Cause I have the same one, but that's the uncomfortable space that we're going to grow as a people.
1: I'm just saying, can I get a hot enough sear for the ribeye though? <laughs> I, think, I think
0: If you talk to an expert chef, you'll get, it'll be even better. And if you touch the stove, I don't sure. trust
1: it. Are you? <laughs> is this the same chef that told me barbecue ain't really that good? Like, what? Like, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> Ibrahim. But I mean, it's it sets that up for like a, as you mentioned is like yes, we want. You know, government to help us make these choices because, you know, we live here, we breathe the air here, things, and we want to, you ask any individual person without using all the jargon and things like that. Yes, they want air that they can breathe. They want, you know, land that's not contaminated. They want to make whatever changes are necessary to ensure that we are not speeding up the process of climate yeah. change. Right. But then when you start, you know, if your immediate thing is like, okay, we're going give you this induction stove instead of this gas stove. If you, you know, a black mama like me, you just like, Oh wait, huh, baby, if you go in my kitchen, <laughs> I can take my stove. Right. Like now we about to fight. And that's,
0: um, and, that's, and that's why one of the ways that the sort of incremental direction is to make new construction require to not have new gas inputs. So basically going forward, to, to just put a pause on the old polluting infrastructure and move mm. in a different direction. So unless you're moving in a fancy high rise in downtown Brooklyn or Manhattan or some other pop-up neighborhood that they got going on these days, <laughs> you're, you are you might be in the clear, but as we go forward for the state, I, I think you know the real direction for the state and for the federal government is gonna be clean energy because that also has implications for the transportation sector, which I'm sure we can talk yeah. about. Right, like major implications. Um, So that's the direction. And you know, sometimes people feel a little, have lots of feelings about what is the agenda and how does it impact black people and brown people, um, people of color and poor people. Like that's the thing that I'm always sort of trying to stay on the pulse of. And that's really what the EJ movement is trying to do is to try and figure out, okay, this is the larger agenda that's happening. We wanna have more electric cars. We wanna have induction stoves. We wanna have, um, you know, all this stuff. But why and how will that impact us? Because in the past, they made decisions and it impacted us and we, got, we caught the worst of it.
1: Mm. All right. When we come back, Ibrahim is not invited to the cookout at my house. <laughs> 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 but we'll be right back on the other side of this break with more Sunday Civics. How can it be? In our final final minutes of this conversation, oh my goodness. So we could do a whole show just on separating Black folks and their cooking habits and the environment. That should be somebody's whole workshop. So maybe, perhaps, those of you who are thinking about how can you bring this conversation about environmental justice and our reliance on, you know, whether they be fuels and energy from hell, as Ibrahim mentions, that we have real world conversations because I do feel like Ibrahim, that a lot of the conversations about environmental justice happen sort of up here, right? And sort of in the the air, in the ether and sort of not also making the connection of how choices by local state and federal government impact our daily lives, the lack thereof impact our daily lives. And that being an entry point, because quite frankly, you know, whether we're talking about any conversations of civic discourse, you know, what makes people that we are often finding ourselves fighting against is they are very easy able to make the connection of how this is going to affect your daily life, whether it's real or not. Right. So, whether it's, you know, creating an argument that they're taking our jobs, you know, or t- able to bring it down to a base level that people understand, even if it's <clears throat> false right? And so even for those of for those of us who are in that daily argument is how do we take these conversations and just talk about the simple conversations of cooking, the simple conversations of what your community looks like, right? Yeah. So to having a conversation with young people quite often, you know, everybody wants to get down on them, which sometimes I'm a participatory of, of like just throwing trash on the street, right? But w- why not talk, the, the other conversation about why isn't there more receptacles in your community so that you don't find that as an option <laughs> to throw trash on the street, right? So that there is a lack of responsibility and resource from government, whether it be local, state, or uh, federal government, that helps to create the environment for you to throw trash on the street, not just this individual choice.
0: I, I think, you know, our... <clears throat> In, in this state, in New York state, if, if we're just like in a, from a local perspective, there's um, the management of our water and our sewer um, and like the focus and emphasis on core issues around waste management, notwithstanding the issues that we've had in upstate communities related to water quality issues, which have been, you know, the idea in America, you know, like someone comes from another country, they come to this country because they're gonna assume, one of the things they're gonna assume is that you're gonna have paved roads and you're gonna have clean water to drink and you're gonna have toilets that flush. Those are like baseline assumptions about sort of what is the American um, contract look in real life in in, in 2021. Now, when you get in situations like Flint, Michigan um, and I think it was Niskayuna upstate and other communities where they don't have clean water, then you start to wonder what on earth is government doing? What is its purpose? Why is this happening? So that those are real legitimate questions. And if you are someone who cares about, like, like, you know, a lot of times people will, will 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 dismiss government and the role of government, but government exists to help us solve these persistent problems. Like you mentioned earlier, these are things that we've always had to do. You always need fuel to cook food. You always need water to, be, to clean yourself and to drink water. So how we get them, those things to our to our families is crucial. If I set up a, a well in my, in my neighborhood, or in my, my house, and then my neighbor has a well, and his neighbor has a well, and everybody, that's not efficient. So we created an entire water system, upstate New York, that travel in the longest tunnel in the world that brings the water to New York City. That is an efficient system that supplies it for everybody. Now, when it comes to managing trash, right? We have a, that's an ethic. We want the streets clean and clear. We don't always do it great, but it's still an aspiration. It's still our focus. It's still our, what we value. So I think regardless of how it might be managed at the moment, it's still a focus and a priority of our government. And we do it better than other places. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot about other places, but it also says a lot about what's important to us. I think one of the things that, um, that what, we, what we sort of have to shift towards is how far are we gonna go, right? So we have a lot of natural spaces. We have to save what we have left. And we have to heal spaces and clean spaces that have been left, that have been scarred. Places like wetlands that are at the edges of of the city in New York City, those wetlands are really lush places with with life. Fisheries of the sea, fish come from the sea and lay their eggs in those places and then they go back, right? Eel come down down streams to New York City and in parts areas where they, they lay their eggs and then they go back to where they're going. We have to be mindful of our role as stewards of all of it. And I think that that's where we're at now. And one way people can get involved in a really tangible way is there's a growing movement around citizen science. So air quality monitoring, water quality monitoring, where people are taking measurements that are using the same protocol and the same um, um, uh, approach that, a DEP, the, the city's Department of Environmental Protection, or DEC, the, uh, the state's Department of Environmental Conservation, using the same protocols and approach that they would use so that we have better data about all of our systems. Those are some of the things that I think um, people need to take more ownership of and then know that at the end of the day, when you're voting, I mean, we had, they were like, oh, great voter turnout for the primaries, but it's still abysmal. It's still incredibly low. When you think everyone's got a complaint about the roads about the the trash about those are the fundamental functions of government you can call it environmentalism or you can just call it city government or state government but if you don't get involved at that level like almost forget about the federal government in some ways focusing on just the local level you as a citizen and as a person who lives here even if you're not a citizen have some input and some say into how that's all done Um, And sorry, I'm just getting excited about it because part of it is also your (laughs) example, right? Like your actual example. So when I say, like one of the points that I always say is that we need to ban all single-use plastics, right? So that's a question that I have to take on in my own life first. So if government is going to do that, so then the question that you have, well, that people should have is if the government's saying these are our targets for reductions, then the government should be doing it first, Mm. Right, The government should switch their fleet over to electric vehicles first. And those are the things that are happening. Now, the question is, who's going to stay on them and keep them accountable and keep snipping at their heels to make sure they do it? And by and large, in this state and at the federal level, it has been Black and brown and poor people consistently in in the environmental justice movement that have kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, obviously with their partners from the, 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 the larger environmental movement as well. But I think that this particular moment right now, we've never seen such such the influence of the EJ community at all levels of government. We've never seen anything like it ever, ever before. Um, So this is a really interesting moment to hopefully observe how we do it, but also to really push things and hold them accountable.
1: Mm. I think that's, as you mentioned, fighting for and advocating for whether it's the local state or federal government to take action on these pieces is part of the individual but yet collective responsibility that we can have. Knowing full well, as you mentioned, that there are still things that we have to come to grips with in terms of our lifestyle. And, you know, for those of you, you know, and this is just me talking to myself out loud, right, in thinking that it's hard. Right, to make those shifts, those changes, realizing that those shifts and changes to what has been deemed easy were made recently as well. Mm. Right. So, do you know it having a bag, leaving a store with a plastic bag for all your belongings was a shift and a change in our life in 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 not maybe not your lifetime your parents lifetime. like it it happened right yeah. like there was a shift it didn't you didn't go to the store and automatically got a bag you went with the mason jars with the bag with your wagon with your thing you know, like there was a conscious shift that happened in that it was then the responsibility of a store to provide you a bag, right? And I know, yes, there are racial implications because a lot of people always make the jokes about leaving the store without a bag and you happen to be a person of color, particularly being black and being accused of stealing items. But those are things that we have to confront, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of how do we address this? And it always brings me back to, I can never find this documentary again. There was an, an Asian society, I don't know if it was Japan or whatever, who realized that, you know, the amount of trash that they were producing, they did not have no, in, enough space, Yeah, you know, in order to process that. And so they did a shift within a number of years telling people, okay, we're not doing bags anymore bring your stuff to the, you know, to the store and reusable items. And it was this whole campaign, national campaign, you know, that there was a buy-in, right? And obviously, you know, governments being different in terms of, you know, how they can do national buy-in. But, you know, national buy-in, we don't have space for this. Let's collectively come together and determine how we can reduce trash. And they were Mm -hmm. able to do that within a couple of years, you know, span time, like significantly. Because there was this buy-in that started, as you mentioned, from the government of we need to do this collectively. Now think about that in terms of your community, in terms of, yes, there is what we need to continue to pressure the federal government to do. But as we advocate here on Sunday civics all the time is starting local. Yeah. Like what can we locally, you know, push our city councils, the town that we live in, the city that we live in, because, you know, if you're in other places besides places like New York city, the town has to come together to determine water. The town has to come together to determine trash. The town has to come in together and determine if you want sidewalks or not and how it's going to be paid for. So there are mechanisms already for you to have that conversation as a collective in terms of how you're going to address these issues, because that's the reason why some of us have sidewalks, some of us have streetlights, and some of us don't, right? Because there are local government entities where communities can come together and make those decisions. That means then we then do still have the power to address how we're going to address that.
0: I think we, we have more power than we think we do. And for those things that are that seem relatively mundane. Elected officials and politicians and agency people, they want to hear from citizens about these things that seem relatively like sort of pedestrian, if you will. Um, We're, you know, but I want to like, it does not take them off the the hook and it does not take the companies and uh, ourselves off the hook. Because the one I don't, I want to make sure that we make the point, Eljoy, that part of the challenge is our existential crisis that we face our sort of spiritual crisis that we face, where buying things gives us value. So at the root of this is that we need to sort of recognize that trash and waste is causing toxicity in the natural world. And that toxicity is not only making the planet sick, it's making us sick. And we are, our health is a reflection of the planet's health, right? Rising cancer rates, other, you know, obesity and other issues that people are facing is a direct result of how we are living and how we're surrounding ourselves essentially with trash so that's that's the layer of it that you know when you talk about what is our personal responsibility it's it's also a sort of a spiritual wrangling you know um that is that is harder for people to wrap their heads around um and it's it's going to be as we move forward people have to simplify their lifestyle to a certain degree and kind of slow down a little bit and you know as much as I say that and I think that that's what we need to do it just, you know, you look out in the world and it seems really difficult to make that happen. Um, so that's why we actually need people not only to get involved in government, but also to make new products and new companies that solve the problems better than they have been solved before. And that's where all of these sectors, the public sector, the private sector, and the civic sector actually have a lot to say and can work really in tandem with each other to come, with, come up with solutions. Um, that's the, that's the work that I feel like I've been mostly interested in, in the past few years is how do we create a local, um, neighbor made food industry, right? So that you're getting your food from your neighbors in your community. Um, how do we sort of, how are we going to develop Rikers Island? And, you know, cause the, the whole renewable Rikers framework, which is being led by the EJ movement. How is Rikers Island going to transfer from a place where there's cages, maybe to a place where there's food growing there or solar farms? Um, you know, how are we going to, um, uh, how are we going to meet these pressing, the UN sustainability development goals? Maybe the federal government's not going to be the one to make those things happen at the local level all across the country. Those, the local levels have to be the ones that make it happen. Um, how are we going to come up with all new business models or a sort of construction? Like, instead of just saying, I have an idea and I'm going to start a company more cooperative business models to meet the needs so that not only are you building sort of community wealth and and also like you're working together, but you're actually addressing those inequities that are built into capitalism as you solve the problem. So there's a lot of layers to this conversation about how we approach, you know, managing food and health and waste and the built environment and renewable energy and mobility, doing it in a way that we, what I love to say is doing it better than we've ever done before, but also in a way that's better than it's ever been done before. Like the how we do it, how we interact with each other, that's as much a part of the environmental justice conversation as the other thing. So th- we don't want to just have some dictator come in and say, no one, you know, everyone has to switch to induction stoves. There's a process there, right? We want to be a part of the process. And it would be great if Eljoy Williams started a company that was selling induction stoves and then had, <laughs> you know, a cooperative that employed folks that were coming out of Rikers Island that now are now installing induction stoves. And all of a sudden, the induction stove market is skyrocketing and Black people are not just getting jobs, they're starting companies and they're buying houses and they're building intergenerational wealth. That to me is more of what we're talking
1: about. You know, that's not far off. I I know this is going to be a roundabout story to get to this point, <laughs> but recently I don't know if you've seen Questlove's documentary on the Harlem, some of whatever, but there's a point in there where he talks about one of, where they talk about one of the advertisers which was Maxwell House Coffee and that they did a specific like ad campaign that was geared toward Black folks or whatever. And I remember a bell going off in my head. I was like is that why my my family like exclusively drinks maxwell house coffee like it it was like a bell it's just like oh did they like have a focused investment and spent dollars you know in black um uh, media at that point and things like that as to the reason why Maxwell House coffee is what like if I brought so home something other than Maxwell House coffee, people would have like a riot. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like you know, it's like doing the like you know the, the 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 connections for me. And I'm and for what the example that you're mentioning is the same thing. Is is that oh well, I know Junior got a job through this or whatever, and it becomes a a. a a family, but also community buy in because they've reinvested in two people.
0: That's, that's, I think that's the, that's the move right there. We need to figure out, that's what I was saying earlier. There's all these capital projects, all like that Excelsior Connect project that I was telling you about. There's all these projects that are happening that are going to be happening all over the state. If black and brown people, and this is all over the country too, clean energy is exploding, get involved, not just in the workforce side, but get involved in the ownership side um, and then I think we're going to see more of that personal, familial, community adoption of, clean, of of sort of green ways of living, because now we're seeing the connection to our own families and ourselves.
1: Yeah. Well, Ibrahim, we could probably do a whole nother hour on this conversation, but thank you so much for Taking the opportunity to join us at the front of the class and to talk about this very important issue that is going to be ongoing because you know what's interesting is all in popular media it's in our popular conversation and this I mean it's not over from recent but just you know thinking about to you know disaster movies is one of my categories of movies I love watching for some reason and so I like watching all of the movies about well the earth is about to blow up and the asteroid is about to hit it or like everything's about to melt and then Everything's going to go to ice, right? So, like, there, it's all in our mass media, and so we also should be having conversations about real world applications of the impacts of these things.
0: One last thing I want to note is that we, and I know this is the last second, but um, you know, the the situation that just happened in Florida, with in Miami, with the building that Mm. went down, um, and it was at it was at the water's edge and and salt water. There's not a compound that human beings have created that over time salt water won't erode. Like there's saltwater is, a, and seawater is very corrosive to almost everything. So the deep conversation around this is gonna be as seas, sea levels rise, where are we gonna retreat to? There's the term retreating, retreating from the edge. And so the impact that that's gonna have on black and brown communities, this is one of the, the future EJ movements of the moment. And you just brought it up to me because this sort of like, what are these scenarios in the future that we have to be prepared for this is one that we have to keep keep our eyes on.
1: It's why I bought a house way above sea level. <laughs> and when you asked me about whether or not I would have a vacation house, I was like, not anywhere near the edge of That's water. Right. Thanks, Ibrahim, and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back with more Sunday Civics next Sunday here at 9 a.m. on Sirius XM Urban View channel 126. Have a great one. It's who we are.